0: song goes out to Gordon Chang and Jitom. <laughs> Little China girl. Happy birthday to Nicole Malliotakis today. Happy birthday, Nicole. for off her win over Max Rose. So what I wanted to do today was bring on guests to basically talk about uh, any one of these wars, being that it's Veterans Day. So we started at 645 with Fred Gassier. And once again, he is the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. And they bestowed me the honor of marching with them today, actually riding in a Jeep, at the Veterans Day Parade. So he talked Vietnam. Then we had um, Bruce and Travis Mills on together. Travis Mills, one of only five living quadruple amputees from Afghanistan, he joined us. And I wanted to talk Korean War and whether you're talking about China or Korea any one of these Asian countries, and by the way, Russia, any, any anything outside the United States, you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody, I mean anybody, more informed than Gordon Chang. I, I love him. He's, i got a healthy amount of respect. This guy knows his stuff. You can follow him, Gordon G. Chang, on Twitter. So here he is, Gordon Chang. Gordon, happy Veterans Day, pal. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you so much, Sid. Uh, you're welcome. I meant everything I said. You're, uh, you're really terrific. You're great. So the Korean War, 1950 to 1953, tell us a little bit about uh, that war. And uh, now, you know, 60, excuse me, almost 70 years later, are we closer to the war ending or the war coming back, what we saw in the early 1950s?
1: Yeah, the Korean War is not over. It, uh, fighting ended with an armistice. But there's never been a peace treaty. So the war continues. And the North Koreans actually act as if that's the case. Now, we call it the Forgotten War. And that's certainly true. In 2003, Time magazine actually ran a feature on the 80 most important days in its 80 years of publication. And not one of those days, Sid, related to the Korean War. Wow. But they did actually have the debut of Star Wars <laughs> a fictional war really was remembered and a war in which thirty six thousand six hundred Americans perished was completely forgotten. Okay,
0: so right off the bat, that begs the easy question, why?
1: I, I think it's because it, it wasn't a victorious war. It wasn't like World War One or World War Two. And also, I think that uh, there was uh, a lot of people in the United States would like to forget it because of the responsibility and the failure of American diplomacy. Those 36,600 American casualties were completely unnecessary. Um, Dean Acheson, who was a great Secretary of State, um, in 1950 actually publicly drew America's Western defense perimeter and did not include South Korea. That had consequences, Sid. Because Kim Il-sung, the leader of North Korea, had for months been trying to persuade Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong um, to get permission to invade South Korea. Neither the Chinese nor the Soviet leader would give it because they felt that the the North Koreans would have to fight the Americans. As soon as Dean Acheson drew that defense perimeter that did not include the South, they gave him permission to invade. Hmm. Um, And so this was a war that was not necessary. Um, well,
0: you know, but you could make I that. Think... You could make that argument. You know, after World War II, uh, the five battles we've been in since. Okay, the Korean War, Vietnam, the initial Gulf War, which was the most successful, lasted like less than a year, and we did great there. And then Iraq and Afghanistan. If this was a football record, you would go like one, four, and one. You know, <laughs> so really, since World War II, just about every battle we've gotten into, you could have made the argument not necessary. Is that, is that fair to say?
1: absolutely fair to say. Take the Gulf War, the successful one. Um, again, this war was completely unnecessary. Saddam Hussein actually sat down with April Glaspie, our ambassador to his country. And um, the dictator asked, um, what would the United States do um, with regard to this Iraq-Kuwait controversy? And Glaspie, acting on instructions of the Secretary of State, said something. And this is almost a direct quote. We Americans do not have an interest in intra-Arab disputes. Eight days after that conversation, Sid, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And what did we do? We, of course, defended Kuwait, just as we said we wouldn't defend South Korea, but that's exactly what we did. That was an unnecessary war. If you didn't have the Gulf War, you wouldn't have had the Iraq War and the debacle of that. So, yes, you're absolutely right. These were wars which were unnecessary.
0: You know, you talk about how the war really, really hasn't ended in, uh, in Korea. And certainly with Kim Jong-un up there in the north, that's psycho. Anything is, is uh, possible. So what, what is the, the big difference between 1953 Korea and what is the most striking similarity?
1: I guess the most striking similarity is that right now um, we have – we could have prevented the Korean War uh, just with that simple um, statement from Dean Acheson. Um, We could end, actually, um, the Korean War now, and we have the power to do it. But we have political leaders, Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, who have chosen not to use American power. You know, the North Koreans can, if they want, to destroy the United States. They've got the power to do it. Um, And the only reason why we have a country is because Kim Jong-un wakes up in the morning and thinks it's not a good idea to destroy America. But, you know, Kim couldn't threaten the U.S. uh, because, um, you know, he's got Chinese banks, Russian banks laundering money for him. Well, we can stop all. We can stop the flow of money by declaring those Chinese and Russian banks to be of primary money laundering concern under Section 311 of the Patriot Act. You know, if we were to do that, Kim wouldn't have money. No money, no missiles, no nukes, right. no army. Right. Um, yeah. This is our fault.
0: Yeah. You know, you mentioned the Chinese and the Russians, and you were on just a couple of weeks ago. Another great appearance. Right after Ping picked up his unprecedented third consecutive victory, he remains in power in China. And we talked about what he means to China and and actually in more terrifying terms, what he means to the United States. Has anything happened over the last couple of weeks since he has cemented that position that has changed your opinion on on anything moving forward between the United States and China?
1: Yes. On Tuesday, um, Xi Jinping actually um, talked to his military. He said prepare for war. We've heard that before. But he said something which was new. He said that the external situation for China was unstable and uncertain. Now, nobody's threatening China. So when a Chinese leader says something like that, it's unhinged, which means something is terribly wrong in China right now. Now, Xi Jinping is going to sit down with Biden on Monday. I don't expect very much to come out of that. Um, But nonetheless, we've got a China which is extremely dangerous right now.
0: Can you even guess, uh, I don't know, Thought something that uh, may be going on in China that is having Ping say something like that?
1: Well, internally, um, China is certainly unstable and uncertain. And you have the Chinese people have just been pushed to the limit on the coronavirus lockdowns, and they're actually defying Communist Party. Oh, hold on a Arizona second. Are, are,
0: are they still locked down in China still?
1: Um, Yes. Um, Right now in Guangzhou, which is the capital of Guangdong province, which is the richest Chinese province, um, five million people are under lockdown orders. Um, This disease has spread throughout China and it jumps. You know, one day it's Wuhan, the other day it's Shanghai, next day it's Beijing. And so they still got this what they call the dynamic zero covid policy, which is basically draconian measures extremely draconian, to try to stop the spread of the disease.
0: That reminds me, a couple of weeks ago, Anthony Fauci was doing kind of his exit interviews. You know, they're all out of mind, Gordon, Uh, Stephanopoulos and all these folks, and they were treating him like he was some sort of hero. Uh, Now, mind you, on this show, he's a villain. We think he's a very evil man who made millions and millions of dollars, knew about all this, and stood by making money as people died. Where do you stand on Fauci's exit?
1: Yeah, Fauci, um, let's remember why we have COVID-19. In 2014, the Obama administration declared a moratorium on the federal funding of -of gain-of-function research. So what did Fauci do? He then funded gain-of-function research in China's labs, which basically are military-linked labs. Um, And then Fauci last year twice told Rand Paul, under penalties of perjury, that his, uh, he did not fund gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But Sid, there are two public published papers from 2016 and 2017 by researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology describing gain-of-function research. And both of those papers specifically acknowledge receiving money from Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Fauci either lied or he didn't know what his NIH institute was doing and that means you know i think he should be prosecuted for perjury because i'm sure he knew that he was lying under oath twice last year
0: wow hey i gotta tell you every time you're on it's great it really is gordon thank you so much uh talking about the korean war what's going on right now korea china all that stuff it's really important so thank you again for hopping on happy veterans day and god bless you my friend
1: well, God bless you, said, and just for all Americans, veterans. Um, I just don't know what to say, but thank you so much.
0: Uh, you're welcome, pal. There he is, Gordon Chang. Check him out, Gordon G. Chang, on Twitter. That's a smart man and a good man right there, Gordon Chang.